0: Hello, this is Victor Lopez. For my second podcast today, I would like to do something a little bit different than what I have been doing of late. Uh, I uh, started looking at some of my uh, old uh, postings in a uh, variety of places and I uh, came across uh, what is what has been a fairly long, dormant, uh, blog of mine, uh, which uh, was titled uh, "Lopez on Politics," and there is an article there that I would like to share. And uh, the reason for it, very simply, is uh, that uh, this is something I wrote back in uh, 2015, almost uh, almost to the date. Uh, it's May 19th, uh, 2015, so uh, you know, six years ago, and. It is far more relevant today than I could have ever thought or feared uh, when I first uh, wrote this. Uh, Let me just preface this by saying that for the first time in my life, as someone who very much loves this country, I am afraid. I am afraid for our democracy. I am afraid for our way of life. I am afraid and uh, concerned about, and frankly, angry about the loss of civility and the uh, unwillingness of uh, partisans, uh, both within and outside of politics, to rationally work out problems and try to work together. Uh, bipartisanship. And civility in this country today has pretty much gone the way of the dodo. And I see us spiraling toward a uh, black hole that uh, I fear we will soon cross its uh, event horizon from which there will be no return unless we take a hard look at ourselves. And rather than pointing fingers at people with whom we disagree, you know, we take a hard look in the mirror And like Michael Jackson used to say, uh, make a change. Uh, It is within each of us to do so. And uh, it is absolutely essential that we uh, make changes to allow us to once again come together and fight against those who, for purely political reasons, have... So effectively divided us uh, from the extremes of the left and right of the political spectrum. So, without further ado, again, keep in mind this was written May 19th, 2015, but I think it is uh, more relevant today than ever. So, if you bear with me, I would like to share this with you. Uh, I title this Seeking the Antidote for the Poisoned Well of Modern politics. We're off to the races again, and the current crop of presidential contenders is popping up like so many mushrooms in the night. The coming year will bring with it an endless stream of money-driven ads, personal attacks, and talking heads with their polarizing spin on intended to align the electorate in accordance with its political charge. D's to the left R's to the right, and everybody attacking the center, trying to beat it into conforming with either a D or an R polarity. Liberals are liberals, except, of course, when they rebrand themselves as progressives. And conservatives are conservatives, and never shall the twain meet in the middle. Once the battle lines are drawn and the likely voters in the middle who cannot be beaten into submission are small enough so that they can be effectively ignored, we go to war. In a take-no-prisoners-the-end-justify-the-means fashion that eventually will lead to a winner in the D&R boot camp that can lead the country to the usual political civil war that is our election cycle. When the dust settles and the winning general gets the prize of free rent and board at the people's house for four years with all golf, free first-class vacations and fundraisers they can manage in order to prepare for the next election cycle. The country is left to lick its political wounds, beaten, bruised, bloodied, and blue. Whoever wins, the losers vow revenge and begin an immediate counter-revolutionary campaign to undermine the winner and, if possible, destroy him or her with death by a thousand paper cuts. We do the exact same thing every year and hope for a different result, turning democracy or the people's rule from the original Greek into democracy in our Americanized version. But it need not be this way. Political operatives manipulate us only because we allow them to, because we buy into the polarization and the reduction of complex issues to a simple binary zero or one, black or white, yes or no answer that ignores the tremendous shades of gray that any thinking person can detect while looking at any complex issue with a modicum of objectivity. The truth is, we don't want to be bothered with the huge swaths of gray areas and promptly attack people who point to them as delusional, misguided, uninformed, obstructionists who would stand in the way of PROGRESS. Those who worry about gray areas and fail to see only the black and white choices offered them, be they observers from the left or the right of the political spectrum, are lectured ad infinitum in an attempt to refocus their vision on the black or the white ends of the spectrum, if they do not drink the Kool-Aid and don the required blinders to view the world the right way. Binary thinking is dangerous. All true believers engage in it, be they of the ultra-conservative, ultra-liberal, communist, Marxist, socialist, fascist, anarchist, or any other absolutist persuasion. Racists use it. So do race baiters. So do misogynists. It leads to the if-you're-not-with-us-you're-against-us ethos of all radical wingnuts that makes it a capital offense, quite literally all too often, to hold an opposing point of view. It makes it impossible for people to have honest disagreements since anyone who disagrees with the right-thinking dogma are enemies to be destroyed by any means necessary. The seething contempt we see in political attack ads and the somewhat subtler version in too many supposedly objective news reports, interviews, and roundtable discussions in both network and cable news channels reinforces this type of binary thinking. The cheap tricks of partisans who try to stifle debate by obstructionist tactics, or simply by raising their voice in an attempt to drown out opposing points of view, also reinforce and perpetuate this mindset. The political well has been poisoned for too long. From the beginning of our fledgling democracy, in fact, for all of their many strengths and intellectual gifts, even great men like Jefferson and Adams behaved very badly in the political arena and contributed in no small way to the Brackish political waters that we have been forced to drink from their time forward. But its waters are not beyond redemption. All that is needed is an electorate willing to embrace the following simple rules. Number one, recognize binary thinking for what it is the providence of the intellectually lazy, the weak minded and the uninformed. There are very few political issues with unambiguous black and white answers. Most issues that affect our society, including the issues of law, ethics, and public policy, are highly nuanced. To the man with a hammer, the whole world is a nail. But we are all blessed with far richer sets of tools in our personal toolboxes, garnered From our life experiences, our education, our independent study, our work, and our avocations. People who wield only a hammer will have the same response to every issue. We need more taxing and spending and equitable distribution of wealth for those who wield the hammer with the left hand. Or we need lower taxes, decrease all government regulations, and empower business for those who wield it with their right hands. Unfortunately, hammers wielded by the left or the right hand are just as clumsy and destructive when used on screws and absolutely useless when attempting to loosen or tighten a nut or mend a cracked copper pot. Hammers have their uses, but they cannot replace screwdrivers, wrenches, or welding equipment and any effort to put them to those tasks will inevitably yield disastrous results that will be made only worse by increased hammering. Number two, acknowledge and respect the viability of opposing points of view. Sometimes opposing points of view are irreconcilable with our own, and compromise is simply not possible. But this conclusion should not be reached lightly and must be acknowledged as the exception and not the rule in political discourse. I would no more try to convince a Marxist to adopt my point of view than I would try to pour the contents of the Atlantic Ocean into a hole in the sand in my local beach. A Marxist trying to convince me to adopt Marxism as my political philosophy would have a similar fool's errand. Before reaching my conclusion, however, I actually read Marx and Engels, took numerous political science classes as an undergraduate student, and even a class on anarchism. I believe I understand the basic tenets of Marxism, anarchism, and for that matter fascism, far better than the average political commentator or the average demonstrator at any fringe rally. I understand, too, the basic differences between the liberal-slash-progressive and conservative ideologies and the essential tenets of the Democratic and Republican parties. I know I can articulate them in any debate, at least as well as the average politician who proudly wears any of those labels. I also understand the roots of those differences, the different worldviews that inform them and the equally different schools of ethics that justify them as well. Law is my area of expertise, but politics and ethics are also long-standing subjects of interest to me and study. The connections between law, jurisprudence, politics, and ethics are self-evident. Understanding and respecting other points of view is the first step to building meaningful bridges towards compromise. Number three. There are many paths to good public policy. No ideology can claim to have cornered the truth market. People of goodwill who have the best interest of society in mind must embrace this simple fact. Lasting compromise that is acceptable to people with different political philosophies can only be reached when neither side is asked to betray its core beliefs. On some issues, compromise is simply not possible because it would require one side to cross a bright line that is unable to cross in good conscience. Abortion is one such issue where irreconcilable ethical and religious views can make compromise unacceptable to people on both sides of the reproductive freedom debate with inflexible views on the subject. But no such bright line exists as to the vast majority of political issues. An honest understanding of and respect for opposing points of view makes it possible for us to view the world through others' eyes, to understand their basic assumptions, and to plot a viable path toward common goals that circumvents unscalable peaks and catastrophic chasms. I had the pleasure of a recent dinner and a couple of beers with my dearest friend since high school. He was the best man at my wedding, a person who for me personifies integrity and in whom I have absolute and unquestionable confidence. As is always the case when we spend time together, even over the phone. One of our recent conversations, by the way, lasted five hours, and we called each other two days later to continue the conversation, and it lasted another five hours. I don't suggest that this is normal or rational behavior, but Lord knows it works for us, even though we sometimes do not speak for months or even years at a time. At any rate, we turn to the subject of our very different politics and worldviews and how we have been able to bridge these on every single issue since our late teens. In many respects, we could not be more different. He is tall, very black, and very handsome. I am of average height, quite dumpy, uh, these days. Uh, and he was always an excellent athlete, and I always tended more to the sedentary couch potato type, although I was also in very good shape uh, in my uh, 20s and uh, 30s. He is a strong, quiet type, usually reserved. I am more boisterous and outwardly emotional. He is a lifelong Met fan before the Miracle Mets of 1969, and I have always rooted for the Yankees, even in the painful 1960s and 70s. He is a left-of-center, lifelong Democrat, and I am a right-of-center, lifelong Republican. He is a Southern Baptist, and I am Catholic. He was a delegate for the People's Party when we were in college, while I was a Reagan Republican, Republican then and now. You get the point. We have been the closest of friends since our first year at Brooklyn Technical High School, where we first met. We are both very bright and, in our own way, very opinionated. We are both very interested in politics. Neither his nor my politics are in the least bit motivated by self-interest. We are kindred spirits in this and in too many other things to list here. Rather than politely tolerate our differences on politics, or sports for that matter, we've spent many hundreds, if not thousands, of hours in deep discussions about them, arguing, advocating, and invariably, always, 100% of the time, reaching a compromise position that we could both live with were we able to set policy for the country ourselves. We've even good-naturedly ribbed one another about the people we've supported over the years and discussed serious concerns about their weaknesses from our disparate points of view. No issue has ever been off the table. Not the death penalty, not abortion, not gay marriage, not race relations, not welfare reform, uh, not absolutely anything that we both feel passionately about and offer differ on. We've never parted angry from our intense discussions, and we've both had a very real impact on each other's worldview, a discussion we turn to again at our most recent meeting. Our secret is very simple. We have absolute, unshakable trust in one another and one another's integrity. Our belief systems are very strongly held, but not inflexible. We truly know and understand the other's worldview and can articulate each other's arguments without a thought, and not in a mocking or condescending way, or simply to set up a straw man that we can then knock down. The fact that we disagree on some really important issues gives us both equal pause as to the absolute righteousness of our own point of view. We keep each other honest, out of the simple and genuine respect for the other's views. As the political campaigns gear up, by all means, join the debate. Call out politicians who are hypocritical, clueless, or corrupt, and argue for your point of view. But show respect for opposing points of view that reasonable people may hold with which you happen to disagree. Governor X, who is a Republican, may be a complete idiot. That does not make all Republicans idiots. Senator Y, who is a Democrat, may be corrupt and clueless, that does not make other Democrats corrupt or clueless. Call out public servants who do not serve the public well, but don't poison the well by hyperbolic, broad-brush attacks on parties or political philosophies, and never simply parrot what others say. That is good advice that goes well beyond politics. And that is the end of my article. Uh, As someone who, among other things, likes to dabble in uh, writing science fiction and speculative fiction, I can see in the not-too-distant future an actual civil war in this country. And that's not hyperbolic thinking, and that is not Uh, you know, chicken little uh, crying out that the sky is falling. Uh, The signs are there. And I am truly afraid for all of us. Our enemies from without and from within are gleefully stoking the fires of dissension. And it is time for us individually, one person at a time, one thinking person at a time, one honest, honorable person at a time to put them out. We must pull away from the extremes of the right or left and try to meet in the center, which is, in fact, where the vast majority of the American public lives, regardless of color or race or sexual orientation or sex or anything else. There lies the wisdom. There lies our salvation. Other paths lead only to perdition. Thank you for listening. Take care.